Hello and welcome to Corbett's Comments. I'm Dr. Otis Corbett and I invite you to come along with me as I share biblical exposition and commentary. I truly believe that God's Word is one of our greatest helps as we live for Him in the world today. And so like the psalmist, let us agree to hide His Word in our hearts that we may not sin against Him. Today I'm commenting on Isaiah 25 verses 1 through 9 which says, Lord, you are my God, I will exalt you and praise your name. For in perfect faithfulness you have done wonderful things, things planned long ago. You have made the city a heap of rubble, the fortified town a ruin, the foreigner's stronghold a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore strong peoples will honor you. Cities of ruthless nations will revere you. You have been a refuge for the poor, a refuge for the needy in their distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm driving against a wall and like the heat of the desert. You silence the uproar of foreigners. As heat is reduced by the shadow of a cloud, so the song of the ruthless is stilled. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that uncovers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day they will say, Surely this is our God, we trusted in Him, and He saved us. This is the Lord, we trusted in Him. Let us rejoice and be glad in His salvation. One thing that parents jealously guard for their children are their prospects for the future, and this is particularly true in the case of their future spouse. Classically, a father would quiz a suitor for his daughter's hand in marriage to make sure that the boyfriend had good prospects for the future. A favorite humorous story of mine centers on this type of concern for a daughter's prospects. It goes like this. A father invited his future son-in-law to dinner to quiz him about how he was going to care for his daughter and future grandchildren. He asked the young man about how he was going to provide financially for his daughter, and the young man replied, God will provide. The man then asked the groom how he was going to pay for a house, and he again said, God will provide. Finally, the man inquired about plans for paying for his grandchildren's education, and yet again, the young man said, God will provide. Later, the man's wife asked about how things went with the future son-in-law, and he replied, well, he doesn't have a clue about how the world works, but at least he thinks that I'm God. Obviously, this man was not impressed with the prospects of this young man in life for the future. And with the year 2020 being what it has been, some of us may be wondering about the prospects for the church and for God's people. Well, in his wisdom and foresight, God addressed that issue long ago through the ministry of Isaiah. In short, our prospects are good, very good. First, Isaiah presents us with the prospect of praise. One thing that we have forgotten is that people were made to praise God, but in verse 1, Isaiah reminds us that we were made to have fellowship with God and to love Him. We were made to worship God and exalt Him. 
He really should be the true object of all our bragging. After all, this is what we'll be doing in heaven. For all of eternity, we'll be gathered around the throne, praising the Lamb and worshiping Him. All the tribes and tongues and nations will be there together. But to be real and to be honest, we know that sometimes our circumstances don't favor worship. As we can see simply by reading, all through the Bible, God's people have had hard times. One thing that is common to all people is trouble. Sometimes the trouble is our own fault, and sometimes it is not. See, there are biblical examples of both of these that we could see. Abraham and Sarah not being able to have a child. Job losing all his family and all of his property and all of his health. David mourning the death of his baby son that he had with that affair with Bathsheba. Isaiah proclaiming judgment on Israel. Paul and Silas being cast into prison into Philippi. Now, the truth is that our circumstances should not hinder our worship because God is the object of worship and he deserves it. The circumstances of all the people above did not present, uh, prevent any of these people from worshiping God. In fact, each of these and others too were justly proud of God and they loved him. Even though Isaiah was troubled by Israel's sin and he was sent to warn Israel because of it, Isaiah found he was able to worship God. Why? Why can we worship God despite trouble? How? How can we worship God despite loss and grief? Well, Isaiah will tell us as we continue to investigate our prospects. Because next, he tells us of the prospect of power. In verses 2 through 5, he tells us that the first reason we can worship God is his power. God is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, and ever-present. These factors mean that His power is active in our lives all the time. God uh, is working with us, and Isaiah reminds us that His power is greater than any stronghold. Fortified cities were virtually impervious to attack in ancient Israel, and Israel had no artillery, no siege engines, no airplanes. But this was no problem for God, however, as He demonstrated by the fall of Jericho. Now, the city referred to in this passage probably wasn't Jericho because that city that Jeremiah referred to would be so destroyed it would never be rebuilt. Actually, the power that Isaiah was speaking of was more in the line of the conversion of the pagan Roman Empire. Christ overcame a culture that had defeated all who had challenged it in the past. In the same way, there is no stronghold in our lives that God cannot defeat. It's also vital to see that God's power is not only for battle, but also for building. Armored vehicles and tanks are great for battle, but not for reconstruction. Likewise, aircraft carriers and nuclear submarines can control the sea, but they can't carry the goods that build an economy and a way of life. God, however, can do more than defeat our enemies. God can bring to us peace and refuge. You know, modern Israel has never lost a war, but it's never really been at peace either. God, in contrast, completes his task in a way that brings everlasting peace. As John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. War is hideously expensive and it destroys prosperity, but peace is fertile soil for it. And so next we see the prospect of prosperity. We live in the richest country on earth, and in truth, we are getting richer by the day. 
But as hard as we try, we can't take our wealth with us when we die. He who dies with the most toys is still dead. And regardless of how many toys we have, they will not last. That's why we have yard sales and flea markets. God, however, wants to give us good things that last. In his spiritual economy, we will live on the mountaintop, not in the valley of the shadow of death. We will feast at his table burdened with food. We will drink of his cup, not of punishment like Jesus, but of blessings. As we used to say in the South, we'll be living in high cotton. God can also take away the threats to our prosperity that possessions cannot. Possessions can't comfort us in our loss. They, they can't remove the grief or depression that settles on us like a blanket after we lose a loved one. Possessions can't remove the sting of defeat. Neither can they remove the regret over sin and the mistakes that we make either. God can remove that, Paul, however. When he does, he will dry our eyes and give us the peace that we need. Next. Isaiah goes on to talk about the prospect of peace. Power and prosperity are good, but what we really want is peace. We want to have peace with God. We want to have peace with people. We want to have peace with creation. We want to have peace with ourselves. But you know, we're just not able to do it. We're not able to achieve any of this in our own power. We can't please God in our own power because we sin. If we appease others, we hurt ourselves. If we appease ourselves, then we irritate our neighbors. And no one really knows how to deal with creation in an effective way. Finding peace is so hard that we often just adopt the philosophy of the song lyrics that say, you can't please everyone, so you've got to please yourself. However, nothing is impossible with God. He has given us the power to be at peace. He has given us the prosperity to be at peace. And because we are at peace, we can focus on God instead of these other things. And we can praise and worship Him. So in conclusion, as one who was alive during the social upheaval that took place in the late 1960s and early 1970s, I certainly have never encountered any period of time like the year 2020. And I pray that I never do again. That being said, I would like to put current events into a different perspective. What we must realize is that the church has lived through turbulent times before, and indeed it was born during both a turbulent time and also a violent situation. Remember, just hours after Jesus had celebrated the Passover and instituted the Lord's Supper, something that he and no doubt his disciples had looked forward to with great anticipation, Jesus was arrested, beaten, scourged, and hung on a cross between two common thieves. That crowd in Jerusalem had chosen to free a radical terrorist murderer over the one whom the disciples knew to be their Lord and their teacher. Less than a day after their intimate and richly meaningful celebration, Jesus had died on that cross and had been buried in a borrowed tomb. Now besides all of this, they had personally abandoned and betrayed their Lord, the one that they loved with all their heart. With all the suffering, pain, and turmoil of current events, nothing we have yet seen could have been as soul-shattering and disillusioning as what the disciples experienced that first Easter weekend. Their entire world and everything they had believed in was turned upside down. Had that been the end of the story, it would have been overwhelmingly sad, but as we know, it wasn't the end of the story, not by a long shot. 
Jesus rose from the dead, sent the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, and God has used His church ever since that time to minister hope in His name. We who are alive today and who are members of His kingdom are living proof of the power of God to overcome all obstacles and all the efforts of evil to defeat Him and His ministry of grace, mercy, peace, and reconciliation. The church not only began in a time of turmoil, but it has actually grown during all matters of all manners of difficulties. Almost like these are the fertilizer which makes it grow and flourish. Not for nothing did Tertullian say, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And while 2020 has been a challenge to us, we certainly have not had the experience of martyrdom. And so we need to adjust our mindset some. In truth, our own disobedience is the only thing that can hold back the ministry of God's church. I am more and more convinced that discipleship is far more a matter of commitment than it is knowledge. Peter and Paul had vastly different levels of education, but both were completely committed to the Lord and to the gospel ministry. So let us dig a little deeper into our own lives and find our first love again for our Lord and Savior. A new year is approaching one with its own challenges and with its own blessings. But if the Lord tarries, it will also be a new year in which we can minister the gospel in his name. Let us not waste a minute more fretting over 2020, but instead, as Paul urged the Ephesians, Wherefore, he saith, Awake thou that sleepeth, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise redeeming the time because the days are evil. Our best ministry is yet to come. Thanks for listening. I'll be back soon to comment on more scripture that we can consider together to help us in our everyday lives. Every blessing, I'm Dr. Otis Corbett.